It seems like struggles with pornography get most of the airtime these days since it is so available in modern times. However, drug abuse and substance addiction is growing at shocking rates. As a church leader, you need to be prepared. We have a library full of resources focused on this topic. The presentation I would recommend you start with is Joseph Granny's presentation about what we can learn from Captain Moroni to help our loved ones overcome struggles with drugs and alcohol. His story of how he loved his son through his addiction is powerful and redemptive. You can listen to this presentation in the Recovering Saints Library by going to leadingsaints.org 14. Put your information in there and that will give you 14 days at no cost. I made it easier for you and put the link in the show notes, or you can go to leadingsaints.org slash Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Today, we're headed to Houston, Texas to talk with Dean Anderson. How are you, Dean? I'm doing great. How are you, Kurt? Good. Now, we were just discussing before hitting record. You are, uh, I mean, Houston is huge, right? I mean, tons of people, especially with the church, but you are the OG steak of Houston, Houston, Texas steak. Is that right? That, that's correct. That's <laughs> awesome. Center steak of Zion, we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we'll see about that, but no, uh, that's awesome. And um, and you were just like weeks ago, you were just released as the stake president after, uh, was it a good nine years? It was. The full nine years was released three weeks ago. So yeah, nice. still still reeling in the, wow, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you're, you're also going through a, a job change as well. And so That's your schedule correct. just blew wide open, huh? It did, which is wow. kind of fun. 
Nice, nice. And um, now your last name is spelled the same way as Elder Anderson. Is there any relation to him? Or No, not the apostle. Uh, uh-huh. Wilfred Anderson, that was a 70. I guess he's emeritus now. He's my cousin, but... Oh, uh, cool. But no, no, no relation to, to Elder Anderson. Possibly. All right. Well, we're all, you know, brothers and sisters, right? So that's right. <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to Brock Griffiths, who uh, first put your name forward as saying, hey, you know, you got to interview, you know, President Anderson. Uh, he'd be a great fit for the How I Lead segment, because I guess this when this calling came, and I'd love to have you tell the story. You uh, I mean, you weren't looking to be long term where you're at. Is that right? That's correct. We we had moved to to Houston, kind of downtown area. Uh, we thought just for one year. Our we had a daughter who had tried out and got into the high school for the performing and visual arts in Houston, uh-huh. and so we we had to be in the school district. So we lived there. It was close to where I worked. So we rented a rented a townhome. We were going to be there for just a year, and uh, six months in. Uh, got this calling. And so we bought a townhouse <laughs> and, uh, and, and love it here now. So, yeah. Now, uh, this is an inner city. I mean, you've framed it as an inner city stake. Is that right? It is. It, it includes all the downtown area. Um, mm-hmm. Houston has a couple of loops, you know, there's an inner city loop and then a, a bigger loop and, and it's all inside the second loop. Um, and much of it inside the, the, the inner city loop. So, we have some of the very wealthiest areas and some of the very poorest areas in Houston hmm. uh, in our stakes. So wow. it runs the gamut. <laughs> is it pretty transient then throughout the stake? Uh, a lot of it is because we have uh, three universities and the medical center that's at, it has, I think, four mm-hmm. medical schools and there's, you know, optometry and all sorts of, you know, uh, dental schools we have a ton of students they're a they are actually kind of the backbone of our stake frankly really because even though they're only there for you know usually four to six or eight years uh we there's always uh, an influx and they're fantastic so it is it is probably more transient than most we have a, a ysa ward um and it's it's great we have three spanish wards um oh wow and, yeah so and, and yeah. uh, a French branch that is just uh, about to kick off that we just got really? approved. So wow. that's a, a lot of a lot of immigrants from lots of places, including Africa. So how many how many units total then? Ten. Ten, Ten. units. Yep. Six and regular English wards, three Spanish wards, and a YSA ward. Wow. And then that that French branch, I guess, is is that self sustaining yeah. for the most part? Yeah. It'll well it it hasn't actually Maybe I should say <laughs> it hasn't actually been formally announced until uh, oh, okay. ne- next week, but uh, it's 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 going to be awesome. Okay, well, we'll, we'll make sure we we uh, don't uh, release anything too soon. But uh, okay, that's great. <laughs> um, now I, I'm intrigued by this student dynamic, just the transient nature of student wards, or I'm not wards, but student areas, right? With universities, you have mm-hmm. students coming coming and going, and um, you know sometimes there's that feeling of hey, they're just here for a temporary time, you know, maybe we'll have them contribute a little bit, but they're busy, you know, let's just do their, their, their thing. And then there's the other side of, you know, let's get them involved and maybe put some in the bishopric and, you know, these types of things. So, I mean, how would you explain just how that dynamic works in, in your area? You know, it, it is a, an interesting dynamic and an interesting, I guess, dilemma. Um, I know when I was first called, there was a, a bishop that was serving 
who was in his residency. <laughs> oh, really? Um, in medical school, yes. Yeah. And so, bless his heart, he that that was one busy bishop. Um, <laughs> but you know, I know the previous stake president just felt like, sorry, but <laughs> this is what the Lord wants, and so we called him, and he was fantastic. So we do have a lot serving in many positions, um, and you know, we find that they. That they're always they're outstanding. I mean, these are tough medical schools, some of the top medical schools in the country. So they're all just really smart, articulate, um, really hardworking, and those are the kind of people that, yeah, they they may not be able to, uh, you know, put in as much time as some people, but they're extremely effective. And so we've kind of said, look, we we think you're going to be happy if you serve. We we understand your limitations, and I know there's one counselor in a bishopric that you know, one Sunday a month, he's not there, but mm-hmm. everybody understands it. And that that's okay. You know, he's, he's in residency too. So, um, but, but we found when we give people things to do, uh, they respond and they become happy and sacrifice is, is a privilege. Um, so, you know, we don't apologize so much for the sacrifices required. We try to be sensitive and not, you know, not overdo it. Um, but, uh, I, I find our state to be incredibly, I guess, accepting, really non-judgmental. We're incredibly diverse. Hmm. Houston is known as the most diverse city in the country. Wow. Um, and, and our stake absolutely fits that. So you walk in any of our stakes and you would feel very comfortable no matter what ethnicity or, or yeah. socioeconomic background you came from, because we've got people like that. And so People are very open and accepting of, of what people can do, what people can give, and, and and it works really well. And by the way, same with our with our YSA ward. Uh, they're fantastic. You know, the change where the YSA members or the counselors and the bishopric and high council members and everything that was a fantastic change. And we we rely on our YSA heavily for lots of lots of callings. They're they're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so you give people things to do, and they respond and they do it well. That's great. I'm curious, just, you know, you, you were called after being in the stake for, for six months. Uh, what was the process of choosing counselors like? Was it just raw revelation or, uh, I mean, what do you remember <laughs> from that process? You know, yeah, it was some raw revelation there. Um, and yeah, I didn't know very many people at all. I was serving as the ward young men's president when I was called. And so oh, I didn't really away from any other stake and uh, but the counselors I chose, you know, there were people that had been interviewed and were, you know, in the list of 30 or 35 people that had been interviewed by the general authority and, and, uh, that they said, yeah, you can pick anybody from here. So yeah, my wife and I said, you got, you got 40 minutes to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, we took that time and, and it worked out great. And both of them served all nine years. Oh, uh, cool. F- fantastic, man. Yeah. Yeah. What do you remember just from those early years, just getting started in the calling? Um, did you did you bring much experience as far as had you been a bishop or anything that that the similar dynamic? You know, I, I had not been a bishop. I had been a counselor in a stake presidency for, hmm. uh, I guess, four and a half years. And then I had moved out of that um, uh, of that stake. So word of the wise, don't don't move out to to get out of a calling. You might get something worse. You know? <laughs> They'll find you. Yeah, <laughs> they'll find you. So, um, yeah, so it, it was interesting, um, the, those early years, but, you know, I, I just found that, uh, when we tried, uh, the Lord would figure things out and good people, good, humble people that would, 
would uh, step in and and help out and 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 it was also an interesting dynamic because the Houston stake had been a Spanish stake up until that point for oh, over really? 20 years. Yeah, so it was so we were not only, you know, it, it was it was like a brand, it was like a brand new stake. So there was nobody. We had no high council, we had no presidencies of any organization whatsoever. We had to start from scratch. So that mm-hmm. was that was interesting as well. And then we were we were actually integrating Spanish and English wards, which had not been the case, you know, mm. previously. The Spanish wards, they had their their stake. They were very proud of that stake. That was an interesting dynamic to, you know, help them to feel welcome and loved and and you know and, and deal with this kind of shock of having their stake dissolved, if you will. Um, so, you know, we switched things up and there, you know, there was a building that had only Spanish words and another building that had only English words. And we kind of mixed them up a little bit to try and integrate things better. So we had a lot of interesting, uh, challenges that I think helped us grow and brought us together as a stake. And it, and it worked out great. By the way, I didn't wow. speak Spanish at all when I was called. It's not uh-huh. a word. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was interesting to, to, uh, learn Spanish, which I eventually did. So. Oh, cool. So it was a Spanish stake, and so I imagine they they kind of split that stake up. Some wards went to a different stake. You kept yes. some wards, and then other wards maybe dissolved into English speaking wards. Is that that's correct? So they, yeah, wow. so the, there were I think seven or eight uh, wards that were put into four or five different stakes, and we kept mm. three of three of them in our stake. So. Wow. So just that integration, that sounds like almost an impossible problem. So, I mean, was there anything that you felt like as you were getting into to stimulating that integration? I mean, what anything that worked or what did you learn from that? So I learned that love is, is how people um, get behind challenging things. And, and when you really genuinely love somebody, they sense it. And so our, our Spanish members, Sorry, I get emotional. <laughs> That's all right. I love I love our Spanish members so much, and and they responded to a difficult, you know, for them that was that was a real challenge, and you could see that was like a gut wrenching thing that wow our stake was just dissolved, and yet they just humbly and completely accepted this gringo who did not speak Spanish, um, and uh, and they just go okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. Both my counselors are bilingual. And so that mm. was helpful when is Mexican. Um, but, uh, so it, it, you know, it just worked. And, and what we found is, you know, I guess one of the principles is that the only way you can really lead is with kindness, gentleness, meekness, love unfeigned and, and people sense that love. And so, I think while at first that was challenging, I think I think the people knew that, yeah, we may have been incompetent, but we loved them, <laughs> yeah. and, and they knew that, and so, and and that's kind of how things uh, I think eventually got to where you know it was. I, I think it was really really going well eventually. It, it, we had some rough things at first, but it was it was great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, anything else about just the demographics, uh, unique characteristics of your stake that would be worth mentioning or? Uh, sure. We have, we have a lot of, uh, African-American areas, you know, some pretty solidly African-American areas in our, in our stake. 
Um, and one of our awards uh, was kind of uh, was kind of based on a branch that had been there called the Sunnyside Branch, which is a, an area that's uh, almost exclusively African American. And that ward has continued to to really prosper, and a lot of a lot of baptisms. I think that ward had over thirty baptisms in the last year, wow. and probably twenty nine of them were African American. So that was exciting to see. That we also, uh, I think, I mentioned tons of immigrants from all sorts of countries, and uh, a lot of a lot from from Africa. So that's why we have this French speaking branch. They're virtually all uh, Africans that are in that in that French speaking branch. Uh, we've been doing you know, French translation and sacrament meeting and French Sunday school classes, you know, leading up to the formal branch. But uh, so, yeah, so we're, we're bringing in people from all over the world um, and, uh, and, and integrating them together. So it's a, it's kind of a, it's a unique uh, setting where people see that the, you know, the culture of, of the gospel kind of overwhelms, uh, you know, the kind of the silly uh, <laughs> differences that we may have as humans, you know, from our language or our ethnicity or whatever, that doesn't matter. Uh, the gospel kind of overcomes that. And, and I think our stake is a, is a living witness that that is very possible. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's, that's great to, to hear. And it sounds like there's just some good things happening in, in your area. Um, was there, I remember, you know, I was serving in a stake presidency in an inner city stake as well here in, in Salt Lake. Uh, and we were lucky to get a bishop that stayed the full, you know, five or six years in his term. Did you find that you just really didn't know how long maybe a bishop or some of those uh, heavier responsibility callings would, would be around? Um, you know, that, that that is sometimes a challenge, although actually we really didn't have that. We had a couple of bishops okay. that moved out before their time, but for the most part, no, most of our bishops served. Now, one of the real challenges we have is that most of our uh, most of our members in the three Spanish wards are not documented. Um, mm -hmm. the, the large majority are, are not documented. Mm -hmm. And so to be a bishop, you have to be documented. Mm -hmm. And so that was a challenge. I mean, for all three of our Spanish wards, when we would go to replace the bishops, um, the pool of candidates was really small. And we had, uh, honestly, three situations where uh, the Lord miraculously sent the bishop. <laughs> they moved <laughs> yeah. in. They moved wow. in at the, at the time we needed them. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, they're all three serving right now and they're fantastic bishops, all three of them. Wow. That's awesome. Well, as we do on the, how I lead segment is I have you send me a handful of principles that you, uh, uh, you know, led by or, or learned on, on this path uh, during your time as stake president. And so let's go s through some of those. The first one is focused on, uh, or is about focusing on your inadequacies is actually selfish. Maybe unpack that for us. Sure. So, you know, I, I know probably most people feel this. I remember uh, when I was called and I went into the first coordinating council meeting with all the 22 state presidents. I mean, we, it's it was a, oh, wow. a three three councils. We have three coordinating councils, uh -huh. but that first meeting, we were all together. Once a year, everybody meets together. So I'm there in this room with 21 other state presidents, and I thought it was 
you know, I, I felt like the old uh, Sesame Street, which one of these is not like the other, <laughs> which one of these just doesn't belong. You know, I, I just thought, wow, I, I don't feel like I, I belong here. Um, and, you know, and then you just realize, OK, you just you, you got to get over that and not not let it uh, bother you because you don't really have time for it. And there was a, a talk um, by Elder Edward Dubay in the April 2021 uh, general conference. And he said something that really, it just, it, it struck me because um, he, he articulated something that I think, you know, maybe the spirit had been trying to teach me, but he explained, mm-hmm. you know, he, he told that story, that famous story where Elder Holland came up and because he said he felt so inadequate and he didn't belong. And, and Elder Holland came up and grabbed him by the cheeks, you know, and, 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 and told him, you know, it's good to see you here. And he patted his face and he said, I felt like a baby. But, but then he said, he said, um, he said, I felt the Lord's love through these men. And then he said, Elder Holland, through his kind, natural actions, helped me to overcome my self-centeredness and my feelings of inadequacy. And that was the first time that I had associated feeling inadequate with being self-centered. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's so true. If, if you're focusing on, well, I'm not good enough to do this. Well, it's not about you. You know, <laughs> and yeah. that's that that's what, you know, one thing I, I think I learned is, yeah, it's really not about you as a as a leader. You're simply the vehicle that the Lord is using at that time. And it's a relatively short time and it goes by incredibly fast in retrospect. Um, and you know, and then somebody else does it. So it's not you, you're just the instrument doing it. So if you're focused on your inadequacy, you're, you're not focused on what the Lord is trying to do for these people. Um, and that that's not effective or efficient. So, yeah, that's so helpful because there's sort of this, uh, uh, I guess you should call it like fake, humi- fake humility, right? Where yeah. y- you feel like, well, I want to be a humble person. So I'm going to sort of deflect compliments or say, ah, oh, gee, I'm not that great or I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just a goof over here, you know, but that mm-hmm. is a form of pride, right? It is. It really is. And that, so that, anyway, I thought I, Elder Dubé was very, very inspired uh, uh, way of putting it and, and helped me to to understand that principle. So, yeah. And if, if people are familiar with Elder Dubé, I mean, I believe he was called really young as a 70. I mean, he still looks very young. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I can imagine there's those strong moments of inadequacy. So, um, awesome. Uh, all right. Next one is God can do amazing things through weak and simple and flawed servants that, that keep, uh, humbly trying sort of, a, a similar to the last point as well. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I guess what one thing I found is, is that, um, you know, God will do miracles through us, not because of us, but because of our willingness to, to let him him do it. Um, I know the Area 70 that uh, did our training when we were first called, I'll never forget. He said, he said, President Anderson, the Lord does not call people because they're the best qualified or the smartest or the most righteous necessarily. So that that's not why you're here. Um, if you think that's why you're here, sorry to disabuse you of that notion, but that's not it. He said the Lord calls people that will that will just allow him to, you know, work through them to do his his will. And and then he also said kindly, he said, and by the way, the, the church is pretty resilient. You can't break it. 
So, <laughs> so, so don't worry, you, you'll be fine, yes. you know. Um, yeah. and many have tried, but it failed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and we really found that to be true. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we saw some amazing miracles, um, with people that, you know, that really didn't feel like maybe they were, you know, that they, they had much to add, but, um, God did things through them. And so it's just, if you try and, and it really isn't even so much what you do, um, it's just being humble enough to let God do things. And then he makes even our feeble efforts. He, he makes them become valid and he makes the counsel that we give to people become the counsel that they need. If, if we're sincerely and humbly trying to, to do that. Yeah. So. Is there any story or anecdote that comes to mind and think back in those, those years of service that sort of, uh, that shows that, that principle? Um, wow. There, there are a lot, but, uh, I, I, I do know, uh, a case of a, a bishop that, that we called and he really was just shocked. He could not mm. believe we were calling him to be the bishop. Mm. Um, but he, you know, he humbly did it. And, uh, and now by the way, he's a counselor in the brand new state presidency that was just called. <laughs> oh, cool. So, you know, so he, he went through his full, almost six years, um, Hispanic brother, um, uh, and, uh, real short, but just faithful as the day is long. And, and, and that, that was a case where I, you know, he really, really felt like, wow, how can I do this? Yeah. Um, but he was just fantastic. Just, he's so humble and his members sensed it and boy, they loved him dearly, um, throughout his service. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to see, you know, uh, some of those individuals grow and flourish in, in those callings. Right. Yes. And now they're ready for the next, the next calling, yeah, the new, the new right. challenge. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. The next principle is as priesthood leaders, we can only be effective according to principles set forth in section 121. Of course, kindness, gentleness, meekness, love, unfeigned, et cetera. You know, every, every general authority or every authority that, that came and visited us for our state pre or for our state conference every year, um, I noticed a pattern um, that they were invariably very kind and never critical. Um, and Elder Ringwood, Elder Michael Ringwood was, was one that came and he told us a story. He said, he said, uh, there's an apostle and he actually later shared it, it was actually President Nelson <laughs> who had, who had, who had, he heard this from. But he said, brethren, nobody likes constructive criticism. <laughs> and we, he said, you don't, you don't need to criticize even if you're constructively doing so. <laughs> um, you can love yeah. people and compliment them. Um, and that's much more effective in getting them to, to actually change. He said, people know, and Elder Ringwood said, you know, I could go through your reports, but you know, these reports better than I do. You know, the areas where perhaps, uh, things could be better and you'd probably like them to be better. He said, I don't need to point those out to you, but he just went through and he had us instead of saying, what are the challenges? He's, he asked each of us, all of us, you know, including his, his executive secretary, clerk, go through and say, what are you most proud of in your stake? And, you know, tell us, tell us two or three things that you're, you're really proud of in your stake. And by the end of that, 
And yeah, we had all sorts of problems, you know. <laughs> we didn't have the best statistics in the, in the church, I'm sure. But by the end of that, we're going, yeah, dang right, we have a good stake. You know, <laughs> we were we were all feeling really good about, you know, things. But, but at the same time, it, it didn't make us like complacent. It made us it made us grateful and it made us kind of recognize good things that were happening. And so we really tried to do that of, of uh, instead of saying, you know, you're really messing up here. Uh, rather, we'd say, you know, these things are going well. How, you know, how is it that you got that to go so well? And, and then how can that be applied in other areas, you know? And, and, and it really just was a much more effective. And, and by the way, the tendency it's a hard tendency to overcome. You know, I work in the business world like everybody else and, and the, the, the management principles just do not apply. And, and when we try to move those worldly management principles into the church, that's, it, it doesn't work very well. That's not, that's not way, the, the way the Lord's church operates. It's, and, and, you know, and the scripture is really true that the only way you can maintain influence is by those, you know, kindness, gentleness, meekness. It's, it's the only way it works. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm glad you emphasize that maintain word because it, in the short term, it feels like nothing, yeah. you know, a tyrant actually gets a lot of things done <laughs> you <Yep. know>? but, <laughs> for a minute. Uh, but, yeah. People for a minute. That's, for sure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the next principle is God doesn't punish people. Oh man. I'm excited for this one. Explain this. <laughs> well, I, I guess throughout my service, maybe throughout my life, but certainly through my service over these, these last nine years, I, I have come to believe that we have a lot of kind of cultural baggage um, in, 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 in ourselves uh, as, as church members are, you know, it's kind of the puritanical Protestant background from which the church came. And, and, and our scriptures, frankly, you know, don't help us with that sometimes because the scriptures do portray God with kind of these human emotions of being angry or jealous or punishing or whatever. But I think other scriptures more correctly and certainly modern prophets really correctly, um, or, or I guess more accurately and in a way that we can understand today, uh, you know, portray God as how he is completely loving, a hundred percent loving, a hundred percent kind, hundred percent merciful, those are God's characteristics. God doesn't get mad. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't punish. He blesses. And then if we if we do what he says, we reap lots of blessings. If we don't, we forfeit blessings. And he can't give us blessings for which we don't qualify. But so that that that's I think one thing that I've really learned is just the, I guess just the relentless love that God has for us. And and so it's important that we that we remember that in our in our interactions with people, that we never give them the idea or, or the uh, uh, we never let them feel like God is is angry with them or or wants to punish them. I mean, repentance is a positive, beautiful thing, and President Nelson sure talks about that a lot and helps us understand that. You know, no, it's, it's sin is painful. Repentance isn't painful. We associate it with pain because we're recognizing the, you know, our, our wrongheadedness or whatever. And that, you know, that's kind of painful, but no, it's, it's the sin that's painful. The repentance yeah. is beautiful and, yes. and, 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 and helps us grow and be happy. So, 
And I just wish we could do a better job at, at conveying that all the time so that especially our youth don't, don't feel like that, you know, repentance is this dreary thing that God wants to get them on a foot fault or something. No, he wants to bless you. He delights to bless you, like the Doctrine and Covenant says. Wow. D- Dean, That's people are going to think I set you up because I literally wrote a book on this topic oh. <laughs> called <laughs> Is God Disappointed in Me? Removing Shame from a Gospel of Grace. And it like literally just came out. And so I promise you, we did not set this up. Uh, but I did not to, know that. To Sorry. say the least, <laughs> Dean, we are on the same page, brother. So preach. I so appreciate you t- <laughs> touching on that. And because it is, it's a, it's a crippling uh, misunderstanding of God when we think it he's is. just just perpetually disappointed in us. And it's like, you you know, there's not, there's nothing to work with there. You can't repent because yeah. you, you're just stuck, you know? So yeah. amen. Love that. Was there anything like specific, like, and you know, sometimes I like to get the nuts and bolts here as far as like that individual walks in your office and they're like just buried in the shame of what they've done. They're sort of in the, the middle of that repentance process or trying to figure their way through it. Like how would you coach a Bishop on like just approaching that? Does anything come to mind? You know, we we did see a lot of cases. Um, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say I think we had more uh, reinstatement uh, membership councils than we did <laughs> membership, yeah. you know, than, than than the first ones, which yeah. was awesome. Um, I I think that anybody that goes through that process comes to see pretty quickly that love in action. You know, I used to say, boy, I wish every member could could experience a membership council and feel that love that is there. And, and I think that's where, you know, that's where you see it. When somebody comes into your office and they're, you know, they're unburdening themselves of something that, you know, they feel really bad about. And, and then they, they sense, and it's always amazing because I, I think, I suppose I thought before I ever participated in that myself that, yeah, you would be like, man, how you did what? Why did you? Know? And you don't, you just, you don't feel that. You really do just feel like you want to help them. You want to love them. You want them to get, get over this. And, and it's, it's a real blessing. I used to say as a stake president, virtually every interaction you have with people is when they are exhibiting faith, whether it's an interview, you know, whether it's to get the priesthood or go on a mission or get married or, or, or repent everything. And so it really is. It's, it's pretty remarkable that all your interactions are with people that are exhibiting faith. And that's pretty cool. And repentance is no exception. I mean, you're not dealing with somebody who wants to repent. I mean, if, if, if they don't want to repent, they're not going to be in your office. You know? <laughs> you're not going yeah. to have that interaction. And so uh, I, I just think we, you, you see that over time. And I, I think it just comes naturally as you, as you feel that love, which is so, so powerful. Yeah, really appreciate that. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, especially after you know nine years of, of serving as a state president, and you know, you've done several state conferences, um, run several meetings. I'm just curious if you had a unique approach in some of these things, as far as like even just starting with a state conference. Like, was there anything different you did? Things you tried? Um, you know, how to get people to show up to the Saturday evening session, or <laughs> anything come to mind that uh, you learned about running an effective state conference? Wow, that's a good one. I, I, I can't say that I would ever hold our stake up as here's the way you do it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, we we uh, struggled sometimes to get people um, to get people there. 
interestingly, our last one was probably the best one we ever had attendance wise. Um, but, uh, um, no, I, I, I do think personal invitations is one thing we found to be effective. You know, we would divide it up and, and I would invite the presidents of every organization, you know, the bishops and the elders quorum presidents and, you know, really Cypress and, and Sunday school. I, and then my counselors would take their corresponding people and we would issue, uh, try to issue individual invitations to, to attend state conference. And that, that usually would, uh, you know, including the leadership session. Yeah. We didn't always do that, but we, we tried to do that. And that was, that was helpful. I think people, oh, love sense, it. Yeah. Some of these forget, you know, they, yeah. it's, it's a strange meeting on a Saturday afternoon. And so, you know, just a, an individual invitation, I think was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, or we'd think, you know, just standing up in a general meeting and announcing, Hey, here's the, the conference and the dates and the meetings and the times and, yeah. Uh, not, we're done. Good enough. Or the the email blast, right? So, so would these be like in person invitations, if possible? Maybe it's- yep, by the phone. Yeah, by by phone, typically. Um, and you know, that's that's how we do it. Say, hey, just want to let you know, and and yeah. then and then we would actually ask um, for kind of a uh, a follow up. Say, is is your bishopric going to be there? Is your presidency going to be there? And kind of ask them to to uh, just let us know so we kind of get an idea of how many people were going to be there, you know, if we were to do breakouts or group activities or whatever. So we would have yeah. an idea. And, that, and these that are, was those, that was a leadership session. Yeah. Yeah. The leadership session, obviously you hope yeah. they come to the general session as well, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Uh, anything about like just uh, working with your high council that comes to mind as far as either running the meetings or how you split up the, the responsibilities among your counselors or what comes to mind? I don't know that we had anything unique there. You know, we would try to make sure that people understood their assignments. Uh, for a while, we tried asking people to give kind of uh, stewardship reports. Um, and yeah, some were, you know, not real happy to to do that. So I was like, fine, we never, we, we would just say, you know, we would invite them to do it as a way for them to kind of, um, you know, help help themselves to see how it was going we had some that kept going all the way to the end but uh you know we, we stopped pushing that again one of those things we asked if they would do it when they didn't do it we didn't feel like we should harangue them um and didn't point out that they weren't doing it uh just you know would thank those that were and so give them opportunities to to uh to return and report that was a an important concept to, you know, give them opportunities to do that. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's really helpful. Well, Dean, we, we covered a lot here. This is uh, really helpful and I hope it was maybe a, a really reflective time for you now that you're released and you think back on those nine years. And so I appreciate you just sharing your experience and sharing what worked, what didn't work, what you learned. And uh, it really is helpful for uh, leaders out there. So the last question I have for you is as you think back on those nine years of being a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Wow. It, it really has been uh, an amazing experience. It really has. Um, and, and I guess I have come to know through, I guess, through just the miracles that I've seen. I mean, I, I know absolutely that God directs things in the church. And, you know, we're not the church is a, a tiny fraction of all the people in the world. We don't have a corner on truth, you know, nothing like that. I think we need to remain humble. Um, but 
I absolutely know um, that that there are a lot of miracles that take place on a day to day basis throughout uh, throughout the the world in every ward, every stake, and and God does care about what we do as leaders, and that's that that has that has helped me. It's just very uh, reassuring to me to know that God really does care about you know our every Sunday school class and every priesthood quorum, you know, and, and he'll help people and he'll, and he'll cause miracles to, to take place. And I've, I've seen them. I've seen hundreds of them. And it's, it, it's really, it is a privilege to, to participate in that and just kind of witness, uh, you know, witness the, the, the miracles that, that God will work in people's lives. And it's, it's real. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Quick reminder, go watch Joseph Grenny's presentation on helping loved ones overcome addiction by going to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.